Hello, and welcome to the Trouble with the Snap podcast. We're celebrating a couple freedoms today. One is our freedom to watch Joey Chestnut try to shove 70-plus hot dogs in his mouth. And two, uh, we're going to use our freedom to express ourselves and talk about where the Big Ten Network got it right and where they got it wrong in regards to their all-decade football team. Um, We had some big issues with the basketball team in regards to where Cassius Winston was, and we'll see if we have a couple more of those today. With me, as always, is Jeremy File, rocking the SPF 1776. Jeremy, how are you doing? Wonderful. Wonderful. Looking forward to another decade debacle. I'm sorry I had to say it. An all-decade debacle today on this 4th of July 2020. So I'm going to go out on a limb and assume you're not entirely uh, thrilled with how uh, some of it went down. So we're going to go ahead. We'll break it down. Um, I've got the list in front of me right here. We're going to start pretty much how uh, they rolled it out on the Big Ten Network. Uh, They started with the linebackers, um, Chris Borland, Devin Bush, Josie Jewell. Yeah. I think, you know, the problem, Tyler, with all these lists, I mean, number one, I think I, I just can't believe how much of a genius I am, I guess, because I did say Devin Bush is probably the only one that I could see making it, um, and, and he did. And I think rightfully so, though. I think Devin Bush really was outstanding, and uh, I think he was a game changer, and he really uh, put that defense on his back uh, when he was really uh, the starter there. And uh, I just think he was a hit right from day one. I know that you had a lot of uh, opinion on Jabril Peppers, so I guess I'm going to stay in the Michigan uh, lane here for now. Uh, Jabril Peppers did w- – the big confusion for me, was he was like a reserve or was he a, a special teams guy? Is that what it was? They, they gave it a utility-type uh, position, kind of like uh, Don Kelly for the Detroit Tigers. They just gave him a miscellaneous whatever title. And so I guess we'll go ahead and we'll throw that in there uh, too. And look, even even with that, like, I don't know if I agree with that just because you want to know who else played a couple positions was, you know, one of the guys I already mentioned, Josie Jewell, who played defensive end and linebacker. And he was a lot better than Jabril Peppers. Uh, Jabril Peppers, uh, I think, was only involved in, and that means recovering fumbles, forcing fumbles, or uh, intercepting passes, like one turnover his entire career, didn't have a ton of tackles for playing in the middle of the field. And so I felt like you could have went with Josie Jewell and maybe awarded him twice. Um, that, that's just my own personal opinion on uh, where they put Peppers. Uh, I know they kind of quietly released the second team. They did it so quietly that I can't really find, find that. And so, uh, Look, I'm sure there were a couple guys from Michigan to Michigan State. I know Shalit Calhoun was on it. That's the extent of it. Yeah. Uh, in, reg- in regards to linebackers, Chris Borland and Josie Jewell, like I said, were just complete studs. I, yeah. get, I get the Devin Bush thing because Devin Bush made it impossible in today's football, you know, you, how it's not necessarily deep ball stuff, but it is a lot of sideline to sideline. And yeah. he made it impossible to try to advance the ball. That being said, you know, he he had 18 and a half tackles for a loss. 
Uh, Max Bola had 31. Max Bola had about 299 tackles. Devin Bush, 172. Bush had one interception. Bola had three. Bola also forced three fumbles where Bush wasn't responsible for one. And so I thought you could have went with Max Bola there. I thought it may have been a little bit of a recency bias with the Devin Bush thing. At the same time, like I said, I get it. I felt maybe he should have been second team because Max Bull also led the best defense in the nation. Yeah, it's a lot of things you got to question. Um, the one thing that I started doing in these comparisons because statistics uh, can statistics mean way too much. Statistics don't always speak volume, and that's why I kind of preface that with, uh, you know, Bush made it impossible to go sideline to sideline, and that's what everybody does now. No, sure. I, I just want to say that I, I think it kind of makes sense to talk about the stats talk when it talk when we talk about Jabril Peppers because Jabril Peppers did a lot of things very very well. What he didn't do well was uh, fill the stat sheet up with interceptions, pass deflections, fumble recoveries, whatever it may be. Unless we're talking the Michigan State fumble recovery and the two point, which usually you know those things don't matter, um, and that definitely didn't matter that game. But at the same time, Jabril Peppers, if people forget what he did for that team. You'll just have to have a quick reminder from me. He played quarterback sometimes. He played running back sometimes. He played slot receiver sometimes. He played linebacker sometimes. He played corner. He played safety. He returned punts and kicks. That is okay. a ridiculous it, amount of, of there. So I can see why. My, my point is, let me, let me say this about Jabril. I can see why they would pick him. He's a very valuable player. Now, right. was he a dominant player? Probably not, but he, he did change the game. He, he, you could put him anywhere. They could have played him a running back. They really could have. He probably would have been more efficient than uh, what they had at running back with Smith at the time. And, uh, you know, he was just that talented. I mean, look in the Ohio State game. They were so untalented compared to Ohio State in 15. They played real peppers at running back. Like, this is our only hope for us to get any yardage. And uh, it, it worked. So, um, and let me let let me kind of play off that a little bit. I agree with you because he did play everything, but they put him as utility, like defensive player. If right. you wanted to name like an overall type thing, uh, you know, obviously he deserves to be mentioned. Uh, Tony Lippett deserves to be mentioned um, because he played defensive back, and he actually played it really well. He probably could have been second team All Conference defensive back. The same year he won Big Ten Receiver of the Year if he played if he played that position a lot. And, I mean, I, I agree with you. I thought Jabril Peppers was utilized wrongly. I don't think he was that great of a defensive player. He was a great athlete, and he was spectacular with the ball in his hands. Even if you want to call him a returner, let's not forget, in 2015, his returns are the only reason Michigan had the lead that late in the game. He dominated the field possession in that game because you go back and you look at the numbers, Michigan State blew Michigan out of the water with the exception of the final score. And Jabril Peppers was the reason why. Well, I think if you watch them play when Peppers was was uh, rocking that number five with the maize and blue, that he, there was so many things that he just did well. And defensively, I, I want to argue one point. He was actually very good on defense, except for covering. He was not a good cover guy. That's where he struggled. I think they probably could have played him where they played Khalid Hudson, which they did do a little bit. And they could have just said, just roam all over the field and make plays. 
they actually could have played him a middle linebacker. He was such a good tackler. Um, he was very, very good. He was not a good cover guy. Um, and, and there was many times in his career that he did get beat on short routes. Um, so I think that's where he was lacking. And, and crazily, though, I will say this. I think he would have been better on offense. I think he would have been absolutely a stud yep. on offense. I think they should have played him all the time on offense. I think Jim Harbaugh completely dropped the ball on that, which doesn't make any doesn't surprise me at all that he would drop the ball. <laughs> he can always do that. But he should have been playing at running back or slot receiver his whole career. And he had the ability to be so good on offense with the ball in his hands. They might have just said, gosh, I just maybe we'll sometimes play him on defense because he was just electric with the ball in his hands. So I like the pick, but it's just tough because, like you said, Tyler, they put him in defense. If they would have just said athlete or, you know, something, you yeah. know, different. Random, or, or X Factor, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, reserve punt return, who knows. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting. All these things were interesting because I'll be honest, it's really scary when you talk about quarterback. I know you want to get to that, so let's do that. Well, we'll we'll, we'll get to that eventually. We're going to roll it out like BTN did. Uh, running back, I mean, I don't think there's any dis- dispute here. Uh, Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Taylor. Um, look, Jonathan Taylor's the best running back the Big Ten's had since round day. And yeah. so, uh, I mean, I, I don't think that's that's really a question. Saquon Barkley, really electric, maybe a little bit of a recency bias. Melvin Gordon at Wisconsin was really good. Uh, Zeke Elliott, obviously, um, could have been mentioned in there. And then, look, that 2013-2015 timeline, uh, you know, you, you could have went with pretty much any running back in the Big Ten at that point. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, um, you know, you mentioned in the show that we would have some disagreements on what they picked. Maybe not as much as basketball, to be honest, the more we think about it. Uh, Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Taylor were by far, by far the best two running backs, in my opinion. I mean, you could make a case for other guys, but if you have to have two, considering what they did in college, I just don't think there's really any uh, argument here. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott was very good. You know, we had other backs that were good. You know, hey, Michigan State, Langford had a run there that, that year they won the championship. He was unbelievable, was it? Well, I think well, he, had, he had like, X amount of games, 100 yards of uh, rushing. I mean, he yep. was fantastic. So there were other guys that were really good. Um, you know, another guy that doesn't get mentioned uh, at all was uh, Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde was fantastic for Ohio yeah. State. But, you know, he, he's not going to be in that list. There's no way. I mean, you have to be great. You have to win. Um, but really, if you're going to be, like, at that position especially, you know, when you have the numbers that Jonathan Taylor did and you have the numbers that Saquon Barkley did, and really Sa- Saquon Barkley, the eye test, look what he's already doing in the NFL. I mean, he's unbelievable. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's got that. Melvin Gordon probably has the best argument as far as what he did statistically. Right. But I just thought Jonathan Taylor was unbelievable. I mean, he was so good. And so I like the picks. I mean, there's other guys, but those two I really like. Yeah. Melvin Gordon was kind of the first one to come to mind. Uh, I think the issue with, you know, Ohio State running back is they were so overshadowed by the quarterback position. Oh, there's no question. and so I, just the way that offense runs. And so I, I feel like maybe that's why Zeke wasn't in there. I'll, like I said, I, 
I've been unable to find the second team. I think Elliot's probably on that list. Um, and maybe I think I'll go Melvin Gordon uh, with the other one. Uh, offensive line, uh, Michael Dieter, Billy Price, Wyatt Davis, Taylor Lewan, and Brandon Scherf. And, uh, oh, they had another one. Uh, Dan Feeney was on there as well. Yeah, I think was it, um, you know, Ohio State had the most picks, obviously, fully. Um, and uh, how many offensive linemen were, again, were from Ohio State, Tyler? Was, was uh, it Just the one. Just one, which is surprising because I think the no, offensive No, two. Line... Sorry. Sorry, I forgot. Bill, Billy Price and Wyatt Davis. Yeah, no, I, I think those, you know, they probably could have had three. There's probably another guy we could have thrown in there. Honestly, had um, line. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think uh, this is the tough one because you know, and obviously our show we like to cater towards just Michigan and Michigan State. So I'm going to try to do that here. Uh, I think Taylor Lewan, as much as he's disliked, I mean, there is some things where he was dominant. You know, mm-hmm. and I think we've seen that in 13 against Ohio State where he completely just dominated that left side. Um, you know, but I, I think that there's an argument for some Michigan State guys in there as well, um, and, and and I think that they did. You know, I think you have to look at team success a little bit, right? And, and I think that when we get to other positions, that's really what it was. Um, Michigan State in those beginning of the decade years and then let's just say middle of the decade, they were so good. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they were just so good. And I think people really forget so easily because of the last few years. Um, but the middle of the decade, they were dominant up front on both sides of the ball. And they right. proved it against the Ohio State University multiple times. So right. I, I think you have to look at that when you look at the offensive line. To not have one Spartan on there is a little – you know, I question that. You know, you yeah. know, when you think of the Allens and you think of the Conklins and all those names, you know, there's not one guy in there that we should put, the Jackson. I mean, you know, I mean, come on here. I mean, I think Michigan State got the shaft a little bit in this all-decade team, if you ask me. I mean, I really think they did because uh, – you know, there's a whole lot of voice of uh, the Buckeyes who want every one of their players on that list. Well, let's not forget that Michigan State had a little run, and I think that's what needs to be mentioned. Yeah, I, I mean, Michigan State was, despite the you know pitfall of the last couple seasons and the three nine season and everything else, Michigan State probably was the second best team this decade in the Big Ten. And there was very limited <laughs> selection of Spartans. Again, uh, Conklin, I thought, could have uh, you could have made a case for. Uh, he didn't allow a sack in 2014 until he played Sean Oakman of the Baylor Bears, who was a monster and would have been a first uh, overall pick if not for the uh, now supposed looking false alarm of the sexual assault allegations that went on at Baylor University. Yeah. Like th- this guy was a six foot nine behemoth, and he was the only person who got past Jack. Six volumes, another guy. Uh, he's not really a great pro, you know. Conklin, first Conklin, first year out of college football, was an all pro. This was a walk on. This was a guy who didn't even have a scholarship offer, and he was an all pro his very first year in the NFL but a guy who hasn't had success in the NFL, another guy you could have mentioned. I mean, you talked Ohio State wants all these guys from their team on this because they were the most dominant over the decade. Taylor Decker, 
not having sure. him on the list surprised me. I thought it would have been thing, yeah. I thought it would have been Taylor Decker and then kind of a coin flip between uh between uh Conklin and Lawan. But you know, another guy who really deserves that mention, Dan Feeney, the fact that he actually tied Wyatt Davis as opposed to just straight up, you know, earning the spot on the team. I think that shocked me. Indiana sucks, but God, he was so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, how many, I mean, there's just so many guys that we could name that were so fantastic in this conference. Just like basketball. I think football is obviously that much harder. Yeah. But I think Conklin, if any of the guys deserved it, I think Conklin really did. They were winning. And I just think that we got to look at, you know, Tyler, you just made a good point. Michigan State may have been the second best team in the decade. I mean, obviously, Wisconsin could have an argument just because right. they won their division more. But really, if you put Michigan State in that division, they probably would have won more. So, you know, I, I think that we, we know how much better the East is. We've seen how Michigan State was able to get, you know, and beat Ohio State in that division. Uh, Penn State was right there, had a lot of good years as well. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't see a lot of Penn State guys. No, I mean, wasn't it just Barkley? Uh, yeah, I think so. And, you know, there's somebody else who I'm going to want to talk about here in a moment as uh, we kind of move down this list. Uh, next up, the defensive backs. We'll start with safeties. Uh, Malik Hooker and Antoine. Um, yeah, you know. It's again, it's so tough. It's so tough on these things. You know, I think we're not going to fully ever agree on any of it. Um, I do believe that Hooker was unbelievable. Um, he was fantastic at times. Winfield, I don't know. I mean, I Win- the Winfield good. one kind of surprised me. I think he, he was a little bit of a curveball, to be honest, Tyler. I, I didn't think that was very well deserved at all. Yeah, I mean, he, he was good, and I, I I don't have too much of a disagreement with it because he's just a freaking nature athlete. But he, uh, the there are a couple Minnesota Goldfields that I just, just sat there and I was like, oh god, okay. I mean, I understand it, I get it, but you can do better. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't get it. I think the, you know that's. I think that's the the Ohio State crazy fans have a point if they're going to talk about that one. Um, you know, I mean, I think that Michigan State's been better at that position in the decade. I Curtis think, Drummond, uh, Isaiah Lewis. Oh my gosh, I, I think Curtis Drummond was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, Isaiah Lewis was fantastic, and and you know, Michigan's had really good safety play over the years. Oh, absolutely. I mean, not, not at that level. I think Winfield was better than Michigan what they had, but um, you know, look. It, Again, you know, we started off and I thought we were going to have this crazy debate. I was going to debate everything. I think what I really debate is, um, is winning matter? Because I think that this all-decade teams in football proved that it didn't fully matter. But I know you have to split up guys. You can't just have one team or two teams with all the players. But uh, what was it in basketball? Michigan State had three guys, right? I'm correct? Yeah. Three players of the year. Michigan had two. Purdue had two. So, um, you know, I think that has to kind of matter, right? Um, and I think that winning didn't always matter in this all-decade team in football. But there's more guys. There's more guys in football. We know that. So it was going to be harder. Yeah. But I don't I don't agree with Winfield. I, I think there was other safeties better than him. And I think Michigan State had a few of them. So, uh, yeah, I think that was the one that was kind of a, a curveball for me. Yeah. Well, th- I think this one was kind of a no-brainer when they got to cornerback Desmond King and Dark West Nardis. 
Yeah, I, I love the Denard. I thought that it was great. You know, I think that he was just outstanding there. And, and uh, Desmond King was an absolute stud. I mean, down corner. Um, that was the year, obviously, where, you know, Jordan Lewis was, was such a big-time player, but Desmond King was that much better. And you've seen it in that game when Iowa played Michigan, just how good King was. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, Darquez Denard, you, you just don't get a better corner in college than that in that conference. No. And uh, Ohio State, Jeffrey Okuda would probably be the only guy when I rewatch film and I just watch how good he was. If you say player to player and I only do the eye test, I think Jeffrey Okuda has a little argument. I think no one else does, though. I, I think that from what King did and, and Denard completely shuts down guys on that side. I mean, Tyler's been mentioning the yards per catch. The, the average was just ridiculous. Per attempt, yeah. Not yeah even per catch. They weren't even getting the ball. Yeah, exa- exactly. Uh, you, you look at a dark lesson already. Uh, and, and this is the part that just completely baffles me is because you have these Ohio State fans. And, Jeremy, I'm starting to see what you're saying about them. I'm, I'm starting to get it because they yeah. thought they should have swept the defensive backfield. And don't get me wrong. Look, Marcus Lashmore, a complete stud. Bradley Roby, a complete stud. Jeff Okuda, complete studs. None of them won the Thorpe Bowl. Oh, well, right. Okuda got screwed. Okay, fine. None of them averaged less yards per attempt than Dark Western Art. As a matter of fact, nobody in college football has allowed less yards per attempt than Dark Western Art since the greatest cornerback of all time, Dan Sanders. Yeah. Darquez Denard was thrown to 77 times during his senior year. 10 catches. Oh, it's just no ridiculous. Touchdowns. I mean, <laughs> 0.779 yards per attempt. Oh, yeah. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous what he was able to accomplish there. And they won. By the way, they won. So, you know, I mean, it was, it was just a winning team, and he was a huge part of it. Well, he, and here's, I love the pick. here's the thing, too, about – is I can't get off this Ohio State thing because this really pissed me off the other day, seeing the phrases about Dark Questionard as average at best. And, well, that's just the Buckeye attitude. And, Let's and, just and, and that's where I lost it because I'm 90% sure I went back and – I wasn't doing this in spite of this list. I, I was watching this game before this list. I went back and I watched the 2013 Big Ten Championship between Ohio State and Michigan State. Braxton Miller tried Dark Weston Nard more than any other quarterback did that year. I don't have numbers to back that up. I'm just looking at how many times he threw it at 31 and how many times I sat there thinking, God, what a dummy. Yeah, it wasn't very intelligent. And every single pass, every single one, ended up on the ground. I think there was maybe one screen pass where the guy got two yards off of it. Yeah, no, no, he he was so good. I mean, these Ohio State fans need to basically get get a grip and get over themselves. Yeah, you guys are great. I get it. But uh, you clearly only watch your team. You don't watch everybody else. And and I'm sick of them, too. I've been sick of them. I'm always going to be sick of them. They got this, uh, you know, the people that had the disdain for Michigan's arrogance, they ought to have the same disdain for Ohio State. Yeah, it's getting there for me. Because these fans are (laughs) – 
these fans are absolutely ridiculous. They think that they're none of their players have ever done anything wrong. And uh, yeah, by the way, Braxton Miller was a running back. The thing that people don't talk about enough with Ohio State is the offensive line. Which guys, they deserve that because their offensive line has been unbelievable over the years. Unbelievable. And, you know, these guys that are corners that play at Ohio State, it's really easy to be a good corner at Ohio State compared to Michigan Michigan State when your defensive line is what it is <laughs> and you have linebackers like that. You know, I mean, it's just – it's just what it is. And if you watch any of the games last year where Ohio State never had to cover anybody. I mean, when you look at the Michigan game, where when they actually had a little bit of time because Michigan's offensive line was very good last year. When Shea Patterson, Shea Patterson had a little bit of time, they were able to throw all over Ohio yeah. State. And Jeffrey Okuda was the one guy that he really locked down on Nico Collins. They he won that matchup handily. But Darquez Denard, Island, all the time. Press coverage. Press, press coverage. I mean, <laughs> if anybody knows Pat Narduzzi, that is like Don Brown types a million press coverage. I mean, he was pretty much, when it was no fly zone, it was you are right on the line shaking hands with the other guy, and you are by yourself. And, yeah, we may bring a lot of guys, but – Ohio State brings four or five guys in the and then they they get there so fast. Michigan State had to bring seven or eight. Yeah. So that basically leaves you as a defensive back going, oh my god. And that's just how good old Michigan State was in the secondary. That's what made them so great, Tyler. Is we remember those years. So mm-hmm. we have a vivid memory, and plus we watch the game. When you watch Michigan State and their winning times in those decades when Narduzzi was a DC and they had dark Denar, they had Isaiah Lewis. They had all those guys in the secondary. Drummond they were Lewis. on an Island mm-hmm. drumming. They were on a flat out Island and they were able to contain guys. It was amazing. It was an amazing run. Michigan state had defensively at the, in the secondary. So Ohio state fans uh, go back and watch some old games. Dark Denard was unbelievable. Yeah. And you can start with that 2013, uh, Big Ten Championship, because I, ju- I just remember, like, any time I was watching the Michigan State game, I would look for where number 31 is, and the second I see the quarterback cock his arm getting ready to swing it that direction, I'm already showing it's incomplete, because he just was that good. He was that dominant. And there was just... Uh, Jake Butt. Um, it is another Ohum pick as much as, you know, it, it was something I thought would probably happen. Um, you know, he was good. He, he had a very good career. He, he was a big time playmaker for them at that position, but I, I don't know. I think, I just think there was so many other guys that were good too. I mean, Iowa had guys. Uh, Penn State had guys. Yeah. I mean, Hawkinson was really, really good. I mean, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to argue that one. I mean, I mean, Hawkinson in the NFL and before he got hurt, I mean, Look at that first game he did for the Lions. I mean, I think he had close to 100 yards. Yeah, Hawkins was good, no doubt. Um, I think another name, uh, one that I'm surprised really didn't get brought up a ton uh, in conversations I've had, what about Kaseki at Penn State? Mm, that's exactly who it was. It was an oddball name or a player that I completely forgot about. I, I think you got to put him in there. And we knew about Hawkinson. You mentioned it as well as I did. There's another guy, I swear, I feel like Wisconsin had a guy that was really good, but I just can't put my finger on the name. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, I, I know Michigan State's had some good tight end play, but I don't want to go the tight end route of Michigan State. I want to have a good Fourth of July. Man, I, I don't want to get Tyler revved up because that position has given him some some anger a few years in this uh, decade. The, the, the past couple. Here, here's the thing, though, is Josiah Price was a touchdown machine, and I thought yeah. potentially just because of that, but I thought he was underutilized, and so I don't blame uh, the Big Ten Network for going another way. I would put Bud over Josiah Price. I don't think it's really that much of a question. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I thought Kaseki was kind of the pick. I thought he should have been the guy, maybe. Yeah, I agree. Or Hawkinson. I mean, I think that – I don't know the stats for you – know, I'm more of an eye test guy than stats guy. And, Tyler, you're kind of a mixture of both. Um, as far as basketball, maybe I dive more into the stats. Football-wise, I, I just feel like there was other tight ends that were better players than Jake Butt. Um, yeah. He did turn in to be a fantastic player. He was a huge piece to a – to an opportunistic offense for him because Jim Harbaugh loves the tight ends and fullbacks. Um, yeah. But, I, but I do think that there was a few other guys I would have picked over Jake, Butt for sure. And, um, well, and one, and one of them I think is actually starting over Jake, Butt, if I'm not mistaken, I think Jake, Butt's still in Denver, which is where Noah font is. Right. You know, and it, exactly. So there, there's some guys there that I just think probably were better in college and they're most definitely better in pro, but you know, that's not what we do here. You know, we're never going to judge these all decade teams by pro by pro uh, play, but right. um, you know, yeah, I, I just didn't agree with that pick. Yeah. Well, look at that. We both actually agreed on something anti-Michigan. Yes. All right. This is a, this is a weird day. Um, maybe we should just send it now. But we're about to get to the meat of this. Like I, I really like these picks uh, on the defensive line. J.J. Uh, Watt, Ryan Kerrigan, Chase Young, and Joey Bosa. Um, in complete domination. I mean, how could you go wrong with those four? I mean, my goodness. Um, you, you know, I just – Chase Young is one of those players that uh, you just fear when you're an offensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, Bosa was better, which is, was really scary because <laughs> Bosa was actually a better player than him. But what Chase Young was able to do was it was more of the highlight stuff and just the eye-opening plays. Very much so, so like a little bit of, you know, it was like Jabril Peppers with stats. You, you know, it was like, oh, my God, not only is the eye test working for this guy, but he's really racking up some numbers here. Um, in his year, two years ago, Chase Young was – like, what? Well, how many sacks did the guy have? I, I don't, again, I don't uh, have the stats. What is he, 14? Let me, let me see if I can pull these really quick. So I'll keep talking while you look that up, Chad. I think Chase Young had 14 sacks or 15 sacks two years ago, I believe. I could be off. But that's the and tech. a half sacks last year. Or, uh, yeah, 16 and a half sacks, 10 and a half the year before. I mean – so this year is the year. Yeah, he has 16. I knew he was in that ballpark. And the year before, he had 10. I mean, it was like, geez, this is Jabril Peppers actually making things that show up in the stats line. Um, you know, and, and it was just unbelievable. But Bosa was just dominant as a force, too. And Kerrigan was ridiculous. And I just think those three just pop right up. I mean, they're, just, they're the first three guys you think of, of the domination and, uh, you, you know, you, you got to love those three guys in the trenches, man. I mean, you put that uh, on a team. Here, here's another one. Seven forced fumbles for Chase Young last year. 
Oh my God. Right. I mean, that's the stuff when Tyler says you grow peppers is overrated. He has a point because of stats. Like you have to be able to create something. You have to make plays. Yeah. You have to make plays. If you want to be an all decade performer, <laughs> you know, you, you don't have to make plays if you to uh, not be, you can still be a good or great player and not have great stats. But if you want to be an all decade performer, yeah, you're going to have to do something that pops out. And Chase Young did just that. So, He's obviously the guy with statistically, um, and uh, JJ Watt. I mean, come on. Hmm. I mean, you talk about a, you talk about an all around player on that line. Um, he's that guy. I mean, all four guys are really just so talented and so all around good. Uh, JJ Watt was fantastic for them, and and uh, I'm going to tell you though, I, I when I look at Bosa and how much he dominated play as well. All four guys in their own right, just at any time, could take the game over on the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Kerrigan's not going to get the clout that the other guys get, rightfully so, because his team never was that great. But for him to be able to do that, and he made – he they were a problem because of him. I mean, you really worried about them because of him on the line. So, you know, I, ju- I just think the other three, though, it just – I don't know if we'll ever have a defensive – line play you know those three guys could probably be you know the best players we've seen on the defensive line the last 20 years you know i mean that's just how good they are I, i'm gonna th- i'm gonna throw a little curveball here shalee calhoun should have been in over ryan Kerrigan. Um, i think there's a good argument there yes and the first argument is the fact that ryan Kerrigan only played one year in 2010 Every, yeah. everything else 2007 2008 2009 and you look at the 2010 stats, he had 12 and a half sacks. Well, okay, Calhoun had 12 and a half sacks as a junior, 15. Or, sorry, no, the sack total was a little – the sack total was disparaging, but uh, Calhoun had more in regards to, you know, just three years of really good play. And I feel like that may be a little bit of a difference – in regards to how I judge it, Ryan Kerrigan, player, but just the fact that he only technically did it for one year. Yeah, I, I would probably jump on the Calhoun wagon, but Calhoun, like I said, he did get second team honor, so I can't be too mad at it. Uh, Kerrigan, like I said, better college player than Shalee Calhoun, but I'm, uh, but I think he, you know, the fact he only played one year, I think should. Should have hurt him a little bit. Now, this is the part that really threw me off. All right. When we get to this. Wide receiver, Allen Robinson at Penn State, Tyler Johnson in Minnesota. Well, this is the one where they really dropped the ball. You know, this is this is uh, <laughs> Not those they, receivers. They, they, those receivers were good, but. <laughs> I, I just, uh, my gosh, you, there was just so many good receivers in this league. Um, and there always is. There always is in the Big Ten. And I could just think of so many names that would pop up before those two. Um, Robinson statistically was really, really good. I mean, he was dominant at times. And he's a fantastic player. Um, Johnson statistically, because of the way they play there, really stood out, obviously, to a lot of people now. Yeah, all-time all receiver in like pretty much every category in Minnesota. I can't imagine when you look at the – the seasons that Michigan State had had with Aaron Burbridge, and you look at you know guys like Lippitt, how good they were. Lip, Lippitt, I Lippitt, I thought had a case. Burbridge, I mean, Burbridge did only play one year. 
or, or he only had one really spectacular season, rather. Yeah, and I, I just don't think Tyler Johnson. I know he had a, you know multiple years that were good, but I just think there's a lot of guys that you know stand out more. You know, I think Ohio State's had so many good players that probably made it harder for them statistically to stand out. Yeah, but, um, like the know, Paris Campbell. <laughs> Michael Thomas, I mean. Hello. Michael Thomas, uh, a big one, too. Yeah, Michael Thomas yeah, killed Mike. Trey Waynes. <laughs> like, I think that should tell you what you need to know about it. I mean, Michael Thomas, when you look at these all-decade teams and you say, okay, how good are they as a pro? And let's look back at college and just say if they were even close to the, as good as they are in a pro, like, yeah, all-decade team, that would be Michael Thomas. Like, Michael Thomas was unbelievable, and he was just unguardable. It was ridiculous. And I just think there's so many receivers, though, that that put up huge numbers, and maybe not the same amount of numbers as Robinson or, or Johnson at times, but, I mean, come on. I mean, I think what – I can't think of the year Michigan uh, with, with Chesson and Darbo. I mean, I want to look at their numbers because uh, – well, here's a here's a good one. Jeremy Gallon. Jeremy Gallon was statistically ridiculous. I mean, the year where uh, you know, I think the one game he had 300 yards receiving against Indiana, and you know, he was absolutely unstoppable. And Devin Gardner broke the record. Um, Jeremy Gallon was an absolute star at U of M, and uh, he was just as good statistically, or maybe even better than Robinson. Um, so I, I don't think those two guys are like, oh, yeah, for sure. Like, they jump right out. I think Ohio State had better receivers. I think Michigan State had better receivers. And I think Jeremy Gallon was better fully than Johnson was. You know, I really do. I mean, that people forget that. They don't realize how Johnson, many yards. I mean, Johnson's, Johnson did have uh, two 1,000-yard seasons. I want to look back at Gallon, what he had. I know he had – I think he had 1,000 yards for sure in 13. Like, he had two of them. If he didn't, by God, he was so close. Um, the yeah, year before, Tony Lippett did. Lot. Tony Lippett did his senior year, but he didn't really do much uh, prior to. Yeah, Gallon had yeah. Uh, over thirteen hundred yards his senior season. Which who did? Gallon did thirteen hundred yards. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, my God, I, people forget. Here's the reason why. Well, they didn't win a lot of games, right? Well, I don't really think that Tyler Johnson two years ago they were any good. Yeah. You know what I mean? They weren't that good. I mean, this year they were, though. So if you want to make a statement and say, well, look, he was the best guy this year. They won a lot of games. They go to the bowl game. They beat Auburn. You know, hey, Minnesota is something to be reckoned with now. Okay, sure. I just think there's a lot of other receivers that could have took that spot. Uh, Robinson's probably a safe pick, though. You know, he, he he was so good, you know, and he was a long-lasting player. But mm-hmm. I don't know about Johnson. I – I just don't know. Back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving is really, really good, though. Yeah. And, you know, it's just I, I think there was other guys that probably, I think, deserved it more, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, let's get to the specialists. No, no returners, which really threw me off, and I thought that was probably the one spot you could have put Jabril Peppers. Keith Duncan and Mike Sadler. Well, I was really excited about the Mike Sadler, not just because of, you know, the tragedy, but, you know, he was a very good player. But I, I'm glad they did that. I thought that was really respectful, and he deserved it. And um, it was nice to see. Um, on the other end, I mean, I don't know, man. Again, it's like like many Duncan, of these picks. Duncan was a you, consensus All-American. He just had a lay. Like, he booted over 50 easy. And when you look at the college game, I mean, even in the NFL, 
you know, teams still have issues finding kickers. The Detroit Lions, my God, what they do, go through like six kickers before they landed on Matt Prater. Like yeah. to find to find someone as effective as Keith Duncan was, I mean, you can sit there and you can look at uh, Michael Geiger, like as efficient as he was for two or three seasons and as close as he was to breaking a ton of records in Michigan State. Uh, he still can kick it over four. Yeah, despite having a couple game winners, so it's so it's like I I thought Duncan was the best pick there. Sadler, the the thing is, and I think there's some miscommunication in regards to the Sadler pick. Look, Sadler, it's really hard to differentiate football from his personal life because yeah. he, he stood out like a freaking quarterback. You look at his. Uh, you go back and you look at his, uh, you know, the, the on Twitter and after he pinned Nebraska deep, then you look at uh, the Speedo pictures he plastered all over Pat Narduzzi's office. Like, those are the types of things that I thought kind of made him stand out a little bit more as a punter and a lot of people tend to think, oh, well, that's the reason he got it. No, that's bullcrap because in 2013, Michigan State's offense, even though it had Connor Cook and Benny Fowler and Tony Lippett and Jeremy Langford, like it, will, it was all field position is how Michigan State won all those games. They would sit there and they would flip the field with Sadler. And then if they couldn't score, they were dancing around the 50-yard line and then Sadler would pin them, would pin the opposition within the five. Like he – dominated the nation in pinning opponents inside the 10 and five yard lines. And then he, uh, at the same time, like I said, he flip, he would flip the field at first and then Michigan state would just inch closer and closer and closer until they ended up getting three or six out of the deal. But every time they would inch closer, Sadler never punted it to the end zone to give the other offense much breathing room. And I think that's part of what made Michigan state's 2013 defense so dominant. It definitely helps. He, he was a really good player and, and, and uh, rightfully so all decade. I mean, with punters, you know, they're, they're so easily forgotten, right? Well, you'll never forget Sadler for multiple reasons for obviously the tragedy, but you won't forget how, well, you know, much of a great player. He wasn't a huge piece to those good teams. Well, unless and, I forget uh, all the gadget plays. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he was definitely a huge piece. And, and um, I, I think that the tragedy of him, May you know it might not have been as big as it was Tyler if he wasn't such a good player. I think that's something that isn't said enough. Where if he wasn't such a great player for them, um, it might not have been as big as it was. And that's sad because you know a death and a tragedy like that should probably be big no matter what. But he was a key piece to that team. They loved him, and mm-hmm. he's missed still. And uh, you know people will never forget him. And uh, he was a big time player. I just thought it was really nice to see, just to see that name. And then you start realizing, you look back and go, "Oh yeah, this guy was like a huge piece to that program." And uh, the the field goal kicking position is really tough to judge because so many guys have had good moments, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I have to do this for the Buckeye fans. Windmill, windmill, <laughs> you know, because because that was huge. I mean, that those type of kicks are yeah. everything. 
Yeah, Geiger was. And, you know, I want to say that I'm, this is because we're Michigan, Michigan State related on the show. Here's something that is going to throw Tyler off today. Oh boy. This guy has not. This guy has not lived up to the billing. But as far as talent wise, I don't know if we've ever seen a kicker this talented in a while, and that is Quinn Dean, Believe it or not, he is Shakeopotamus, but. 59-yarder against Alabama. His first kick ever was a 56-yarder against Florida that he made. This guy, talent-wise, if he can have a good senior year, you know, he could be in discussion to be kicker of the year. I mean, he really could be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, 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 he's, some- he's, got, he's, got, he's got the leg talent. He needs to have that consistency. Yeah, extra points kind of matter, Quinn. Uh, seven, six, because we can't seem to uh, make our first extra point against the Ohio State. Uh, that was brutal. <laughs> and, he, and the shank against Michigan State, my God. I mean, uh, you know, he's had those moments. That's why Quinn Nordine has not stood out, the inconsistency. But he did finish strong last year. I think he made his last five kicks. I may be wrong. It might be last seven out of eight or something. Um, but uh, there was a stat about him where he was struggling last year in, in the mid range kicks or the kicks, you know, you know, that are like between 35 to 42 yards. He struggles with you get him beyond 45. There's probably not a kicker in the conference. You want more. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, that kicker position's tough, isn't it? To judge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, I think the efficient. Okay. Uh, the, Little flex type position, uh, Braxton Miller. I mean, just because he was so good at quarterback for a while, and the mm-hmm. fact that he, in the fact you played quarterback and you played it well, I think that that kind of pushes the envelope a little bit. Yeah, so that flex position is like an athlete. You know, you you got to put him there. I, I do agree. You yep. know, and because uh, he, he was such a good quarterback, you know, at times he wasn't a great passer, but what well, he sure did run that offense well, and they were hard to beat. And when he was in the backfield, I mean, when he had a little bit of space, I mean, just look back at 2013 against Michigan. I mean, a little bit of space, and he's gone, and it just crushed us. You know, as, you know, the Michigan fans couldn't believe it. And uh, he was a big-time player and just a guy that you could put him anywhere. And look at him at a receiver. Remember that first game when he has the, the epic spin move and two guys from Virginia Tech drill each other? I don't think we'll ever <laughs> forget that play. Uh, just a, a game-changer, Braxton yep. Miller. Yep. Uh, quarterback, JT Barrett. There's much argument here. You know, the, the sad part about the JT Barrett pick for someone like myself is – he was so good because they won so much. But at that position, if I had to pick a quarterback, it's probably not him. In that offense, under Urban Meyer, there's probably not a guy I would rather have. Yeah. I mean, he ran that offense as good or better than anyone that's ever played for Urban Meyer, and that even includes Tim Tebow. Um, yeah, I can see that. And, you, you know, he he won a lot. He came right in right away and did well. And uh, even when he went down and the other quarterback stepped in, I mean, he was still the guy. And, uh, yeah, as far as a full career, it's probably hard to argue it. When you talk about needing a guy to be able to make the throw, certainly not. You know, certainly not. I think the guy they got right now is ten times better. 
I think Justin Fields is 10 times better than JT Barrett. Um, I think Connor Cook was a much better passer. You know, there's not even a debate. I think Denard Robinson was a better runner. But when you add up team success and you look at stats and the way he was able to run that offense, he's probably going to be your guy. I don't think he was the best quarterback in this decade, though. I just don't. I think there was other guys. And I'll be honest, if I'm going to put a quarterback, I think it was Connor Cook. I think he was better than JT Barrett. And, uh, you know, that, that would probably surprise a lot of people me saying that. But I think it was very opportunistic for JT Barrett. In that offense, when you have Ezekiel Elliott and you have Michael Thomas and you have all those studs over all those years, it's really easy to be good. <laughs> it's really easy to be a good quarterback. Yeah, and, I mean, I'm taking a look at some of these uh... – Numbers now, you know it. Took- uh, Russell Wilson? Hello. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but Russell. Limited time for Wisconsin. Right, right. Oh, I know. And so, look, I'm looking at Connor Cook right now. I think you could uh, make a case for him. Uh, he didn't play all four years. There was obviously that one year of just dog crap where they played Maxwell. Um. And I feel like another guy you could make a case for is Kirk Cousins. Oh, yeah. I mean, Captain yeah. Kirk, how could we forget? Yeah, I mean, Cousins had better numbers than Cook, but I feel like Cook was a winner. And it's like, oh, well, J.T. Barrett was winning. Uh, did you go back and you look at this all-decade team? How many of these guys J.T. Barrett freaking played? <laughs> like, J.T. Barrett had oh, – you know, I feel like if they win the championship in 2013, if they win that championship in 2013, because let's be real, it easily could have happened. I don't think this Michigan State team, the way they played against spread uh, offenses, but yeah. I think they could have beat Jameis Winston in Florida State. I don't think Florida State offensive line had the forces to slow down Shalit Calhoun, Marcus Rush, and Lawrence Thomas, and Joel Heath. Uh, that was by far the best team that Michigan State has ever had. In 2013, I mean, they were just loaded. Well, I mean, I, I do I do love those teams from the mid 60s, but th- yeah, th- this team was right there as far as how good they were. And if you take away just the most piss poor, god awful pass interference call in the back of the end zone, I think they beat Notre Dame. They they're undefeated. Is they had low expectations coming into that season, and so they were rated incredibly low. And it that took them the a while. To- of the, you know, that was the beginning, Tyler. And I know you know this, and we talked about it multiple times. That was the beginning of the Connor Cook era. Was when they finally said, "Forget this." You know, he's the guy. You know, they yeah. had that last drive, and they decided to not, you know, go with him, which was shocking. It was one of the more strange moves I've seen. And um, then Andrew and... Maxwell runs out of bounds. Runs out of bounds <laughs> on fourth down. What the? F- yeah. It's fourth I mean... down. If, if anything, just turn and whip the ball to the other side of the field and pray to God Benny Fowler's right there and can pick up the first. Give yourself a chance, at least. You know, yeah. Andrew, poor Andrew Maxwell. Well, I, you know, we're, we're talking quarterback. Well, so let's, not forget, let's not forget this is the same guy who cost Michigan State against Michigan in 2012. Absolutely. It, it was Absolutely. Uh, it was a third and seven. He could have run for the first down. Instead, he threw it off target. And Max Bullis sat there, and he he's even Max Bullis even stated afterwards. He goes, "Dude." 
the defense was on the bus, like, ready to go. Like, we thought we had the game won. All he had to do was run for the first time. <laughs> like, all he had to do was freaking run. And against our game, all he had to do was freaking throw the ball. And he couldn't do either one of those. And No, he didn't do a very good job. No, he did not. And you, if you go back and you look at the drops Tony Lippett had, at the drops Benny Fowler had in 2012, yeah. You go back and you look at those drops. The next year, Benny Fowler gets over 850 yards receiving. The year after that, Tony Lippett's the best receiver in the Big Ten. The year after that, Aaron Burbridge is the best receiver in the Big Ten. I think that speaks a lot to the quarterback position. And frankly, just because of the meltdown that we saw about such a sure thing like Darquez Denard being on the All-Decade team, I would have loved to have seen them name Connor Cook All-Decade and love to see Ohio State fans piss themselves. When you when you look at how good Michigan State was, so we can keep it home base here, they were so good because of a lot of reasons. But the reason that put them over the top was two reasons. Kirk Cousins was fantastic at the beginning of the decade, and Connor Cook took it to the next level in the middle yes. of the decade. And, and when you look at Ohio State, as talented as they are, they have the opposite thing going. Their quarterback just has to be opportunistic, opportunistic because you've got everything around you. I mean, you, you, you basically have all the pieces. All you have to do is just do your job. And you look at Michigan and Michigan State, they don't have that luxury. And, and the one thing I want to say is, number one, Connor Cook will probably never get the respect he deserves because, you know, he's not a good pro which is sad that we go by that. But, he, but what's JT Barrett? JT Barrett's nothing in the league. You know I mean? Is he even in the league anymore? Most people don't even know. So I couldn't tell you. Right. So my, my point is, when you look at players that completely change the dynamic of their team, Connor Cook maybe changed the dynamic of that program more than any quarterback in the decade by far. I mean, I don't even think there's an argument there. I mean, he was able to turn that thing into something that it was. And, you know, from for you to go, would they go in 12, Tyler? Were they were they seven and six or six and seven? Seven and six. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm trying to remember what happened in the bowl game. No, they did win the bowl game. They, they, they did win they, the bowl game. They, they won the bowl because they put freaking Connor Cook in. Exactly. That was my next nice point. I, I, ironically, though, Le'Veon Bell had – like the longest pass of the game. Yeah. It was, they played TCU. It was a horrible game. Buffalo Wild Wings. Game a bowl game. And, uh, you know, it was just horrible. And Connor Cook, that was the beginning of, of the, the turn to put Michigan State at the elite level. But it, I have to shout out my boy again because, you know, never forgetting him in his first play ever, uh, Denard Robinson dropping the ball and then picking it up and running for a touchdown. Those Michigan teams without without Denard Robinson would have been terrible. They would have been absolutely atrocious. I mean, he was able to do so many things well. And, yes, he struggled still. I'm not saying he was, like, great. But as far as leading your team, not the way Connor Cook did as a, as a pure quarterback, but as someone that can make the outstanding play, can, can run for 150-plus on any, on any given night, if you want to say the reason why Michigan lost or Michigan beat Michigan State in 12, there was two reasons. And it was both the quarterback because Maxwell stunk it up and Denard Robinson made just enough plays 
And without Denard Robinson, they probably didn't even score any points that game. Michigan State shut them right down. And every throw yeah. he made. I mean, I mean even, even then, out, everything that Michigan got was a field goal. Right. And then they, they're not getting even close to a field goal range without Denard Robinson. I mean, the last drive, Denard Robinson was the reason they won the game. And uh, whether it's the run, whether it's the pass. I, I still contend Andrew Maxwell was the reason they won the game. Andrew Maxwell, 1A, Denard Robinson, 1B. I mean, Andrew Maxwell, I'm sorry, buddy. Whatever you're doing in life, I'm hoping you're successful. But my God. I'm hoping he's not listening to this. My God, Andrew. Hello, McFly. I mean, my God. That guy. I mean, look, you know, we should have an all-decade team of who was the worst quarterback for Michigan and Michigan State. And I, we never go this route. We're never this negative. But, boy, I'll tell you, Andrew Maxwell and John O'Corn, boy, that's a tug-of-war battle that would last all day long. <laughs> no. Kidding. Who's going to be worse, you or me? Oh, I don't know. I'm falling. Uh, no, I don't know. My John O'Corn, on the if, listening, if, if John O'Corn's listening, go. Never mind. John O'Corn. You are not that good. Let's just say that. Let's be nice today. Yeah, yeah, that, that's about as nice as you could put that. But, yeah, if you look at what Michigan State was after Cousins with Andrew Maxwell. You look at what they were after Cook, Tyler O'Connor and Brian Lewerke. You, you, you could make a case that Connor Cook was the difference. Um, obviously – Obviously, injuries played a part in the fact that he got completely dominated against Alabama. But, I mean, I think you're, you're able to look past one game if you're considering, you know, four years worth of work. Well, when you lose to Alabama, you get a pass. I mean, come on, anybody loses to them. So, yeah. You know, and if you lose to him with a sore arm, mm-hmm. he still drove the ball down the field and hit Aaron Burbridge on Desmond King in a shoebox with a busted arm. Desmond yeah. King, you know, the second-best defensive back of this entire decade behind Dark yeah. Lesnar. Like, he still found that guy. He had he, – like, he hit Aaron Burbridge a lot. His numbers weren't that – his efficiency numbers weren't that great against Michigan. But he had Aaron Burbridge beating Jordan Lewis quite a bit. Like, oh, yeah. You you look at how he played. I think you can make a case for Cook. Barrett, I thought, was the obvious choice. But you know what? I don't think the difference was as big as people think it was. J.C. Barrett, when you look at that game against Michigan in 16, that was such a good game. J.C. Barrett, Michigan basically said, beat us. And he couldn't. He couldn't do it. He could not make the throws. And guess what? Just the year before, Connor Cook, they said, beat us one-on-one, and he did. He absolutely did. He, he made every throw. He, he made every read. And those throws to Burbridge were not bad coverage. Jordan Lewis was locked right on him. And, and those were just beautiful passes. That was the difference, and that's my point, where Connor Cook needs to get a little more respect because just the year after, the same defense – you know, JT Barrett could not make the routine throws against Michigan. And, and and that was the game where Wilton Spade was the real reason Michigan lost because of his poor play. But JT Barrett could not win that game. He could not. It took bad play from Wilton Spade, and it took uh, arguably questionable spots, and a few things happened. Connor Cook just 
pretty much said, hey, thanks for that one-on-one coverage, Donnie Brown. Bang, bang. Actually, it was DJ Durkin. It was Durkin, same cover. Yep. Connor Cook was a stud. I I put Connor Cook right there. Connor Cook threaded a pass on DJ Durkin, and I mean that in the most literal sense, which was the most incredible thing. R.J. Shelton made a tiptoe grab right along the sideline. And Durkin should have been flagged for interference on that play, by the way, because <laughs> yeah, he, he yeah. was out there and he was putting his hands up and Connor Cook threw it over Durkin's hands right to RJ Shelton, who caught it along the sideline. And the fact that there wasn't a flag thrown, Shelton beat his defensive back and Cook still threw it over a coach that practically came out onto the field. I thought that was absolutely incredible. I wonder what Durkin said to his, his team after that. I'm sure it was really pretty. Yeah, oh, I'm sure he got some nice words. Yeah, absolutely. McGarrett King's just burning defensive backs on double move. It's here's the thing too: if McGarrett King's caught the ball in that Michigan game, <laughs> right? He caught the ball. He he, I mean, he, had, he had he, he yeah. had he had good plays, but he had a lot of bad ones during that game, and I think you could see it in the, his tears while he was, you know. Up in the stand celebrating afterwards. What um, was the drop he had? Was it was it, it that year, Tyler, when he had a wide open pass? He dropped. The, he he dropped one that year, but there was that uh, last play right before Michigan got the ball back on fourth down. Cook had to like escape pressure, threw it up, and at the time Kings was open, but then uh, people came crashing in. I'm not sure if that's the one that you're talking about. He had one in that Michigan game, I'm pretty sure, where he dropped it. Or maybe it was another game that was very important where he dropped the ball. But I think it was the Michigan game where he, he was open and he dropped it. But yeah, but Connor yeah. Cook was so good that game. Yeah, yeah. He 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 was King Kings was pretty efficient, but that Michigan game he there was something going on with him. Uh get to the last one. Coach of the year, Urban Meyer. Well, there's no, you know, argument there. I mean, I think that um, for what they were able to do, he wins a national championship. You can't really have an argument against the guy. Right. Um, you know, he, he's a fantastic recruiter. He's a, his system has worked multiple times. Um, he, he's a genius offensively in college football. Um, and uh, what he was able to do there at Ohio state is really leading them to where they are today. I mean, I think we're going to find out a lot about how good Ryan Day is in two years because uh, he still has a lot of Urban Myers players. So when you talk about coaching, it comes a lot of things, making the right calls, uh, winning championships, and recruiting. And uh, he, he had all three spots. I mean, he really did. I mean, he, he makes the right calls. He completely outcoached Jim Harbaugh every time. Uh, he's, he's probably only had one coaching game where he – probably dropped the ball and that was the Michigan state game at 15 where they probably should have ran the ball more to Ezekiel Elliott. And that turned into a nightmare. Okay. Here's the thing about that. Ezekiel Elliott still touched the ball over 15 times and only averaged two yards a carry. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I mean, I think my point is the way he called that game in the rain was very similar to Jim Harbaugh (laughs) in the rain with, with, uh, uh, corn. I mean, come on. That's not nearly as bad as old khaki pants there. But, you know, they, they didn't need to throw the ball on first down the way they did in that game when Urban Meyer, you know, was in the monsoon against Michigan State in 15. Other than that, I can't think of a game where he 
really coached poorly. I mean, he, he just did everything he was supposed to do. Sure, he's got great players. That makes it a lot easier to coach when you have great players. But, um, you know, he wins. He flat out wins. He's a winner. Like him or not, uh, he gets the job done. And there's no question Mark D'Antonio is right behind him in the decade. Um, you know, there, there's no argument there. I mean, I think Paul Christ has done a fantastic job at Wisconsin. But uh, just not, you know, there's no championships there really in, in a way. I mean, uh, Brett Bielema got the championship. And, you know, let's just – we figured out how bad of a coach he is. He's no good. Um, you know, he was an opportunistic guy that year. And he also got quite the gift for Michigan State on the punt uh, there in the championship game. So, um, you know, I would say there's no doubt, Meyer, you got D'Antonio right there on his heels and, and fighting. But Urban was dominant. You know, you, you know, you look at his record, it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think they averaged 11 wins a season, I believe. Yeah, um, uh, four conference losses during his, uh, what was it, six, seven years seven at years. LSU? Seven, seven years. years at Ohio State. His first year he comes in, they go undefeated, but they had the sanctions. Uh, that's incredible. Um, on, on a team that really struggled the year before, for a coach to come in with pretty much the same main guys to go undefeated and when the team went six and seven the year before, is pretty remarkable. Um, so Urban Meyer, not a fan. Would never want to share a brew with him. Uh, never would want to be friends with him. Uh, if I need a coach, yeah, probably the guy. Yeah. Uh, championship, obviously, is, uh, I think, the tipping point. Because, I mean, look, Mark D'Antonio is right there. Uh, they split the Big Ten title. They each won it, what? Uh, I know Mark D'Antonio won it three times. Urban Myers won the Big Ten three times. Um, obviously, Mark D'Antonio was there throughout the length of the decade. I, I think that case can be made that, you know, maybe Mark D'Antonio. Look, Mark D'Antonio won three. I'm not saying I would have voted for D'Antonio. I would have voted for Meyer. But they both won the same amount of Big Ten championships. And D'Antonio was the reason Urban Meyer doesn't have two more. And yeah. I think I think that uh, that can definitely swing things, given the fact that Mark D'Antonio didn't have near the freaking talent that Urban Meyer did. And he was no. still up there, and he was still competing. You know what? Screw the last five years. But – <laughs> because if if D'Antonio could even keep it consistent around like nine wins a season, I, I think it's a no-brainer to D'Antonio. But yeah. his, 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 his drop-off on the back half costs him. Yeah, I, I think that you, you got to – the one thing with D'Antonio is people need to realize this also, that um, the things happening with the recruiting um, – towards the end ladder of his career didn't help him where, you know, the, the, the couple bad apples um, put them backwards because they were on the elite level. And Urban Meyer made a great point last year on Fox where he said, you know, they had really good players. I mean, he, they were able to develop good players and turn them into great players. That's on Mark D'Antonio and that staff. Um, they took and then bad players get, and turned them into great players. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's players that were walk-ons, 
you know, that, that turned into studs. That's Bart D'Antoni on the staff. So, um, he's or those guys who had like mid-major offers, like Cousins. I think Darquez Denard only had one to Middle Tennessee State. I which, believe you know what? Thank, thank God Michigan shot. State. Yeah. Beat, thank God Michigan State beat Middle Tennessee State there because <laughs> Darquez Denard, <laughs> yeah. we talked about, was obviously such a huge part of uh, the team. So, yeah, you look at the two star like him. You look at the zero star walk on and Jack Conklin, who you know first team or. Yeah, first team all pro as a rookie yeah. in the NFL. Mike, like that development, um, you know, that has to go to D'Antonio. Uh, you sit there, you, you said it. Ryan Day just, you know, he just had to keep recruiting at the level Urban Meyer did, which at this point, Ohio State, the name pretty much recruits itself. And so yeah. you, you can make a case. You can make a case. I'm still going with Urban Meyer because it's the same reason why I say, you know, Everyone's like, oh, Mark D'Antonio's the best coach in Michigan State history. That's bullcrap. You know, two coaches have won championships. Mark D'Antonio didn't. At the same time, I believe Mark yeah. D'Antonio should have won. Yeah. But because I'm still an advocate of that Notre Dame game completely screwed Michigan State and having ACC officials ref Notre Dame football, it's the stupidest idea of all time. <laughs> and you live right around, around the block and you love it. You love it. Yeah, you know what? I, I had something to say, but I don't think it's appropriate, so I'm gonna keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there. I don't think that. You know, I I don't think that there's much separation in regards to the actual coaching between D'Antonio and Urban Meyer. There's a big difference in the no. talent. Um, there's a big difference in the style, but as far as the quality of coach, yeah, there's not that big of a difference because how many times has Antonio said, okay, you know what? This sucks. We're going to go ahead and we're going to change this. And the offense is boring. So he's trying to sit there and make these changes and these changes still are not as effective as they should be. But as a head coach and as a developer of talent, you know, he had the no, there's no question. I mean, and, and it'll be very interesting as we move into the next decade to what Ohio State will be without Urban Meyer. I mean, I, I really am interested to see what Ryan Day will do over a length of time. And, uh, you know, they've been dominant and they are rolling right now. Uh, they're definitely not slowing down, that's for sure. But I think that uh, it'll be very interesting to see if he can have that same success because that's that's ridiculous success that Urban had. I mean, it really is. And it's very hard to go after a coach like Mark D'Antonio. Mel Tucker is going to have to really uh, get through these first three or four years and be successful, uh, you know, have those seven, eight win seasons, and then maybe a nine win season. And then, hey, maybe year three or four, you shock everybody. Uh, and then maybe year five, uh, you, you have something like Mark D'Antonio did and you have a championship. Um, I, I think that that's kind of, uh, where we are with the coaching ranks. And then Jim Harbaugh, hey, you know, maybe get to a Big Ten uh, championship game. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, you know, but if not, third place seems to be okay out there. Hey, so, you know uh, what? At least he put together – at least he had a student put together a virtual tour of Indianapolis because of anywhere anytime soon with Ryan Day. <laughs> no. No, they're not going anywhere this year. I will say this. I know we're on the decade talk, but – I, I've changed the tune with Michigan. I think this is going to be a horrendous year for them. Um, I, I think that, and here's why, and we'll talk about this next show. I really want this to be a topic because I don't know what's going to happen because of COVID-19. Jim Harbaugh 
has been horrendous on the road, right? He's been pretty good at home. He's won a lot of games at home. Right. Um, unless you're playing Ohio State and then uh, Michigan State. But I will be really surprised, Tyler. I want this to be our main topic and what it's going to be like as an advantage or disadvantage for these teams with the less fans. Because the big house does matter, right? It gets rocking, and then they've been talking about putting music on the loud screens, you know, or or the uh, the, the speakers, and and getting stuff on the screens to make it hard for the opposing team. Well, Jim Harbaugh can't win on the road, so maybe this will be an advantage for him. But it will just be evened out because his home his home field advantage is gone. So I think they're going to have a bad year. I think they're going to struggle. And this is definitely not the type of thing to happen like a COVID-19 when you don't know who your quarterback's going to be. But isn't that going to be interesting, Todd? I want you to, like, start the next next week's show. No fans. Is, is this going to be different and difficult for certain teams? I think Ohio State could win with zero fans or, or 1,000 or 100,000. But I think Jim Harbaugh and people like Michigan State and teams like that, they need that advantage. Yeah, I'm, I, I can kind of see that. I'm – um, yeah, we'll definitely, uh, you know, put that on our uh, schedule for next week's talks. Uh, obviously, we won't have, you know, those all-decade teams kind of floating around just trying to give us something to talk about. And we won't have – I don't think, anyways, that we'll have any uh, surprise recruiting announcements, which kind of kept our show afloat uh, for a second. So, I think that uh, – yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that can be talked about because at the rate things are going, there's not going to be fans. No. At least not 100% capacity. And especially in the South where, uh, you know, football is king. You know, up, yeah. up, up, up here you can sit there and it's like, God, you know what, Michigan State was 7-6 and six again or 6-7 and seven or – Eight and five didn't live up to the hype, whatever it may be. But you know what? Rocket Watts and Xavier Tillman are on the clock next. So, yeah, you, 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 when you think of the basketball success, it makes the football failures go away. But it's going to be interesting, Tyler, because they had talked about this. This is a, a, a little uh, um, uh, key point in their next show. And I really can't wait to talk about it is what they're going to do to make an advantage. They had talked about allowing teams to play loud music and loud crowd noise. Well, they're going to have to monitor that because guess what? You know they're going to do whatever it takes in some of these stadiums to make it louder, or they're going to do certain things to to throw off the opposition. Michigan Stadium is not that loud. It might be louder with the music blasting, you know? So I can't wait to talk about that. Like, what's fair? What is the Big Ten going to do? What is NCAA uh, football going to do on that front? Are they going to allow certain things to be played on the speakers? How are they going to allow it to be a home field advantage? I think that'll be a fun thing to talk about. Yeah, well, uh, Mel Tucker has a lot of NFL ties, so maybe he can talk to the Atlanta Falcons since they've pumped artificial crowd noise into their stadium a few times over the last five yeah, yeah. years. So I think, uh, you know, maybe uh, I can give some advice there and make the home field advantage. But I just hope they have some fans. I hope you and Stanton are six feet away. You know, and I hope that there is some fans. You, you, you know, know really what? I, 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 I'll, I'll let you know. I'll let you know, and I'll let the entire world know. I did not read my tickets this year. Yeah, and that you know, the, we the, don't know it, what's gonna happen. It, it's 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 a. I mean, yeah, you're right. We don't know what is going to happen with the whole uh, coronavirus thing. B. Uh, last year, 
you know, it's, it takes me about two and a half hours, two hours, 45 minutes to get up to East Lansing from where I'm at right now. And yeah. I usually, my wife goes with me. She was not able to go because we had the baby. Tiffany does not know if she wants to go this year. And those drives just get so long, especially if the team sucks. <laughs> we don't know where this team's going to stand uh, with new quarterback, new coach, and everything else. And so it gets long. It's well, I mean, if it makes you feel better, I live uh, 14 miles from the stadium and I never go to the Michigan game. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I just don't want to watch uh, khaki. I don't want to watch khaki pants if I live right on the road. So, uh, yeah, I won't be COVID-19 or not. No thank you to Mr. Khaki, man. Yeah. But, uh, you know, obviously we'll break that down a little bit more on our next show. You know, what? I-, I was surprised because – when I, when I was kind of like, you know, thinking about what I was going to say during the course of this episode, you know, I wasn't going to lean so heavily towards Michigan State in regards to Connor Cook or in, in, in regards to Mark Antonio. But when you sit there and you really, really think about it, you know, those guys had about as good of a case as JT Barrett and Urban Meyer. And obviously, uh, you, you know, the Michigan State selections were – uh, among the most satisfying, I guess you could say, just because you felt like those two guys really, really, really deserved it. Um, you c- could probably say the same thing about Wisconsin. Uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor really, really deserved it. <laughs> you know, Borland really, really yeah. deserved it. Like, I, I feel like those two teams were the only ones that were, were like the people on there you can't argue against. No, and, you're right. I, I mean, every, everybody else, like I said, yeah, you do kind of have that case. Um, Ohio State fans will argue against everybody else. Um, that became kind of uh, they, they'll find, they'll get over it. They just need to shut their mouths once in a while. That's all. <laughs> yeah, fo- focus on renaming your city right now. Um, yeah, but yeah, that does it for us today. We'll uh, talk. We'll talk about that. Uh, you know, the potential for. Uh, fake noise as Donald Trump would say um, we'll talk about that fake noise on uh, on an episode sometime next week but that does it for us today for Jeremy File I'm Tyler Hayward this is and well as the Trouble with the Snap podcast